Well, what a great anthem to kick off a new series today on weapons of our warfare. To just kind of open up with this anthem, um, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And this is really uh, our battle cry, isn't it? To, to say, hey, listen, on our own, we might not be able to, to grab hold of victory on our own. We might not be able to, to finish the race, but not I, but through Christ in me. And so um, we're sort of weaponizing um, worship today as, as a, a lead into this new series that we're starting called um, Weapons of Our Warfare. And so excited to dig into that. Also excited that the kids are with us today. If you're a kid out in the crowd, just give, or grown kids, fine too, but just give me a wave. I see you guys today. We get to hang out with uh, all the youngsters once a month, and uh, we love having them as a part of our uh, our community and, and allowing them to join in with the larger community. So uh, we're going to be paying attention, pay attention, because we're going to be touching base with you guys, and got some stuff for y'all too. Uh, but we're going to start off with a little movie trivia. All right. So where are my movie people at out there? You think you've got the? All right, we got some trivia people. That's good, kids. We want you to participate here as well. So just consider a few people around you. Your sort of trivia team here. And uh, we'll see how much you know. We did have some people that got all of these right, so it is possible to get them all right. All right, so here's the first question. In the movie The Lion King, what is the region under the rule of King Mufasa that is taken by force by the evil scar and recaptured by the rightful heir to the throne, Simba? All right, so just tell a few people around you. Hopefully one of you can figure it out, knows the answer to that. All right, how many of you guessed the Pride Lands? How many of you got the Pride Lands answer? Oh, some of you knew it. It was right on the tip of your tongue, right? All right, how about this one? In the Star Wars, all right, some of you perked up. Star Wars movie series, who are the masters of the dark side who want to rule the galaxy? All right, masters of the dark side that want to rule the galaxy. All right, how many of you got the answer, which is the Sith? All right, oh, shucks. Some of you just said Darth Vader, because he's like, that's always the right answer in Star Wars. Or, all right, what planet was Superman from? What planet was Superman from? All right, how many of you guys had Krypton is your answer? All right, oh, man. All right, this one is the last question of the day. Hopefully you can get at least one right. What is the beaver's name in the Chronicles of Narnia? Some of you are deliberating. His parents were real original. Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver, all right. How many of you got all five of them today? Any, okay? Yeah, all right, or four. All right, then none of you got all five. <laughs> How many of you got all four? Hey, way to keep me on my toes. Extra credit. Yeah, the fifth one is, no, I don't have a fifth one, sorry. 
How many of you guys have ever stopped to think about some of these movies we watch and really how so many of these movie themes really have some biblical themes to them? I mean, and it really, you go on down through the list from, you know, you think about even movies like Harry Potter and, and uh, you think about movies like Lord of the Rings. Think about all of these movies have, in, in many ways, if you pay attention to them, they borrow from the Bible to really tell this story, right? And really, we see this common theme throughout a lot of these movies, and there's this theme of this struggle between good and evil, between light and darkness. And in a lot of these movies, we see, like, even in Superman, I mean, this guy gets sent from another planet from his father, right, to, uh, to, to work all these wonders and, and save the world, right, is essentially, uh, you've got, obviously, Narnia is sort of obvious, but Star Wars, you've got this epic battle of good and evil, this fight for the, the empire, the galaxy, and uh, Lion King, if you never paid attention to that one, I mean, come on, like, the, you know, the rightful heir to the throne comes back, you know, and, and, uh, and, and conquers the uh, the Pride Lands, I mean, it's just, it's all throughout these epic stories that we have. And when we really think about some of these stories, we, we have this sense that there's something that in many of these movies just resonates with our spirit. And why is that? Well, I'd say that one of the reasons that is is because we know that there's some truth to a lot of these stories. And these stories bring us back to this really this, this overarching story that all of us find ourselves in the middle of, and it's really this story that is this epic battle between good and evil, between light and darkness. And while it might not always appear so on the surface, we have this sense that we are really in the middle of some kind of battle, right? And there's something in our hearts that sort of knows that there's more to just daily life than just going out and working our everyday job and doing our everyday things and going to school, that there's more, there's more to this story. And, and if we think that, if we resonate with that, the, the reality is it's true. There is this spiritual reality that is this greater reality, this bigger reality. And if it feels like we're in the middle of a battle, it's because it's true. We were born into the battlefield. And there is a spiritual battle that is taking place in, in all of our lives, in all of our families, and um, and, and, and all across the universe. And in light of that, Paul gives these concluding remarks in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Is, and this is where we're going to be camped out over the next several weeks as we talk about the weapons of our warfare. We'll be talking about the full armor of God. And this is what Paul charges the Ephesians with. This is the conclusion too. This is the kind of lean in. This is the, hey, if you got nothing else from my letter, I want you to get this. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. And so Paul is giving them this charge saying, listen, there is a very real and present reality. There is a spiritual reality, and your battle is not just against flesh and blood. Your battle is not just in the here and now. Your battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. It's against the authorities of the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he's not just using some sort of imagery here it's it, he's saying this is a, a true and present reality so put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground 
Charles Spurgeon one time made a simple but profound statement when he said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. So if it feels like you're in the middle of a battle, truly you are. It's a battle for our souls. There's this battle for our families. There's this battle for our lives. That's why around here, it's, it's more than just self-help kind of sermons. It's more than just happy principles or feel-good songs. It's about how do we fortify our faith? How do we invite God's presence and his power into our lives so that we can live that full life that Jesus promised? It's about linking arms around other people with shared convictions so that we can stand strong in spiritual solidarity because we understand that there is a battle going on. And that the backdrop of our everyday life is really this battle that's taking place in the heavenly realms. So with that, what I want to do today is just set up and really kind of set the tone for the series uh, for us. And that's my job as we get started. And then we're going to talk over the course of the next couple weeks about those various weapons that God has um, given us so that we can stand strong. And uh, let's just go to God in prayer and really invite him to speak whatever he wants to speak to us this morning and then we'll dive in and really kind of receive some marching orders uh, from the Bible today. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the fact that you have given us um, what we need to be armed for battle. And you stand with us in the middle of that, God. The, the truth is that we are more than conquerors, not, not through us, but through, through Christ in us. And so we thank you that you go with us, we thank you that you lead us, and we just ask today, God, that you would speak whatever truth that you want. We invite you to penetrate our hearts uh, with your word and with your truth, and allow your spirit to stir up whatever he wants to stir up in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's the first thing I'll say as we, as we think about what does it look like to be battle ready, what does it look like to live in, re, in, in light of the spiritual battle that's taking place. And the first thing is this. Know your enemy well, but your God even better. Know your enemy well, but your God even better. The Chinese general Sun Tzu, an author of Art of War, he said this once. He wrote this. Know your enemy and know yourself, and you can fight 100 battles without disaster. And I would revise that slightly. I'd say know your enemy well and your God even better, and you can fight 100 battles without disaster. We should know both. Jesus warns us about our enemy. He describes him as a thief, as one who comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He, he says he was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. Peter describes him as prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's not tame language, right? We might not feel comfortable, but all of these things are offered up to us to remind us, again, of the battle and of what's at stake here. So what do we know about the devil's schemes as, it, as it's described in Ephesians? The Bible lays out the enemy's, the the, um, the enemy's strategy as, for us quite specifically. We see it really from the very beginning. His strategy hasn't changed. If you look to the Genesis uh, 1 and 2 narrative, we see um, what is happening as there is this struggle even from the beginning of, of uh, human existence between good and evil. And we see what the enemy, the serpent in that story uh, does to try to convince and really pull um, Adam and Eve away from God. And really away from that perfect design that God has for them. And what we see is that 
the, the enemy comes around, and, and we often hear that, um, and we hear in the scripture that he masquerades as an angel of light. And so he tells these half kind of truths. He plants these seeds of doubt. This is his, his weapon. And so what we see is that he really just uses lies, temptation, and half-truths and doubts um, to kind of go to work in us. And the goal is to obscure or dis- distort our view of God. And what does he tell Adam and Eve? He says, oh, you can eat of that tree, even though God said you could. And I, I know he said you couldn't, but you're not surely going to die. So he tells them this lie, or he might state it as a half-truth like this. Uh, are you sure God really said that? And he just leaves that in them to sort of do work. And, and what, we see what eventually ends up happening. But he does the same thing with us, right? He, he plants these little lies in our, our minds. He allows our flesh to work against us. He says things like, you're, you know, you're just missing out. This is what everybody else gets to enjoy. And you're missing out. Life's kind of hard on you, right? You got to do all this stuff that God wants you to do. Or maybe God's just withholding something from you, you know? Or what about this one? Nobody will ever notice. It's harmless. It won't hurt anyone. It's a victimless crime. There are way worse things. I mean, we on and on the list goes, but the enemy likes to plant lies in our minds and in our hearts. He likes to plant doubts both about him and about who you are and who you were created to be. This is how He acts against us to try to steal life away from us. And what ends up happening is that those lies and temptations give birth to sin and to shame and to separation from God. And what what happens in um, the Genesis narrative is we see that they end up eating the fruit, right, sin, and then all of a sudden they realize there's this emptiness in them. They start to realize something about themselves and they realize that they're naked and they end up running away from God. They end up running and hiding, right? And this is the enemy's goal. He wants us to be separated from God. And so we see their sin give way to shame and separation from God. And then God's like, who told you that you were naked? And they're banished from the garden. And ultimately, it's so that he can carry out his ultimate plan, which is devastation, defeat, and death, spiritual and physical. But the good news is, We don't have to buy into that cycle. We don't have to continue to cycle around in that cycle. Because of the power of Jesus, yet not I, but through Christ in me, because of what Jesus did for us on Calvary, we can break that cycle. And Jesus himself models for us that we don't have to continue to fall prey to the enemy. We see Jesus um, in Matthew uh, in the book of Matthew, led out into the wilderness. And he has this moment, this 40 days of temptation, this 40 days of where he, he's, he hasn't been eating, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's just relying solely on the power of God. And in a moment of weakness, the enemy comes and meets him several different times, right? And if you remember this story, you remember these lies that the enemy drops on Jesus when he's out in the wilderness, one of the lies is, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Distorting view of God, distorting view of himself. And interesting that he attacks him on an identity level, if you are the son of God. Tries to plant that doubt. Isn't it? If you're really the son of God, you could just tell these stones to become bread. So he attacks him at the pleasure level that, man, don't you just want something to eat right now? He attack, attacks him at the level of pride. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. He'll command his angels concerning you. 
And Jesus then repeats back to him another scripture. So interesting, isn't it, that the enemy is actually using scripture to kind of twist the truth. He's masquerading as an angel of light. And Jesus takes scripture to speak back to him and to, with authority, say, no, the, the, Bible, the, the Bible also says don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then he attacks him on a level of power. He says, listen. Look out over all of these kingdoms. All of this I will give you if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus just says to him, depart from me, Satan. And isn't it interesting the way the enemy works to sort of use our own things against us, to use pleasure and pride, our own weaknesses against us. One of the things that's interesting, I was kind of listening to on a podcast a while back, was how a lot of the Russian leaders, including Putin, are really into like judo, and a lot of them practice uh, judo. And if you know anything about judo, what you know is that it's the art of using um, your enemy's power against them, their own power. And so if they come at you with force, you turn that force against them and use that force against them. And it's interesting that, you know, we hear a lot about the misinformation campaigns, things like this, you know. When we, when we talk about some of these things, the way that these informations and stories are kind of distorted, we see it all across, you know, all over the place, right? These different bots and things like that that sort of create this misinformation. And it's not that there's not already weaknesses, right? It's just an exploitation of those weaknesses. And what the enemy does is the very same thing, right? It's the same strategy. He turns our own force against us. He turns our own weaknesses against us. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, listen, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so, yes, God allows us to navigate temptation, right? But he's with us in the middle of that and he provides a way out for us. And one of the things that temptation can do for us on the positive side is it teaches us how to resist those things right it teaches us how to stand strong amidst those things and so we have to continue to choose to take that way out james 4 7 through 8 says this no temptation or sorry submit yourselves then to god resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to god and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double-minded so when in doubt, what do we do? Resist the enemy. We run toward God. We do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, which is to run from God, right? And succumb to the enemy. Instead, we do maybe even the opposite of what we feel like in the middle of our shame, right? We run back toward God. We run toward him and resist the enemy. And so we have to learn to know our enemy well, but our God even better. The next thing we have to do is we have to not resist the medic, right? Not resist the medic. Now, some of these wounds in our lives run deep. Some of these lies in our life run deep. And the enemy just continues to speak that same lie over and over again to us. And eventually, you just start believing that thing. You start believing whatever it is about yourself, or you start believing that you're never going to be any better, right? You're never going to get out of this thing. You're never going to be... You're ne it's never going to happen, right? And so we see a lot of these lies that just embed themselves so deeply in us. And what we really need is a spiritual surgeon, right? We need surgery. We need this stuff cut out of us. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have had surgery before. Like, has anybody had surgery? I've had multiple surgeries, and so um, I'm no stranger to surgery. Um, I, I don't love surgery, 
And surgery is one of those things where it's like nobody looks forward to it. So everybody's like, yeah, hey, surgery day today. Like, who's excited? Like, let's go. Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this thing, right? Now, maybe you're excited for the healing that's going to come on the other side of it, but nobody, like, that I've ever met, unless they're just completely crazy, is like, let's do it. Like, I can't wait for the anesthesia and feeling all groggy. And, you know, I, the anesthesia is, like, my least favorite part. Like, you, you know, you get in there, and you're like, you just know it's going to be like, they're going to start making you count down. And be talking, like, 10, 9, and, like, you're just like, eh, eh, and it's just like, and then you're just, like, waking up, and you feel nauseous, and you're, you know, extra chatty if you're me. Like, I... You know, that I was just like best friends, like me and the doctor were best buddies, I, at least the, I thought so, you know, and uh, we're having all these just conversations, but I don't like it, and then the feeling all day of like, the, you know, so I, I don't love surgery, but I do love being healed, you know, I do love when that, that, you know, when I had that back surgery, I've been dealing with back pain, and I'm like, oh man, like I'm actually not in pain anymore, like this is amazing. Now, why do they do anesthesia? You don't want to do surgery without anesthesia, right? Like, it is an important part of it. You don't, you don't want to, unless you're, like, out in the battlefield, right, you don't want to actually have surgery without anesthesia. It's way better, right? Because what would our tendency be if somebody were, like, just wide awake, no medicine, and the doctors come in, they're all, like, you know, ready to go, and these scalpel police, you know? Like, what are you going to do with that, you know? Like, I, you're not just going to sit there on the table like, yep, just cut me open. Like, I'm so relaxed right now. That's just not, we would resist, right? And so this is the point of anesthesia. Now, when it comes to the things we deal with in our own life that need cut out, the challenge is we don't get the benefit of anesthesia. Like, we have to actually, like, you lean into the pain. We have to allow God to do what he's going to do. And a lot of times our natural inclination spiritually is just to say, let's just leave that in there, you know? I know I got a bad appendix, but let's just leave it alone. Like, let's just see what happens, you know? Not a good idea, right? Neither is it a good idea to allow those sins and doubts and all these other things to continue to exist in us. But it's a painful process for us to, to just let the medic do what the medic does, especially when some of these things run deep. It's a deep work, but it's a good work. John 16, 12 through 15 says, I have much more, this is Jesus' words, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, that is why I said, the spirit uh, will receive from me what he will make known to you. And so we have to stop resisting the things God wants to do in our life, even though this is often our natural inclination. But what would it look like to say, all right, God, just, just speak to me. Speak to me through your word, right? Because if the Spirit's the surgeon, the scalpel is the word of God, and it has this way of penetrating us if we actually let it. Which is why sometimes it's like we don't really, like we're cool to like read the word sort of devotionally and give me some inspiring stuff. But when we really read it and sort of, you know, come to it and say, God, lay bare anything in me that is just not of you, it can become a painful process, right? But we should invite this because we know that on the other side of it, it's healing and wholeness that God has in store for us. And so let me encourage you, if you're, if you're wounded, which by the way, we all get wounded in battle, right? And if life really is a battle, we're going to have times where we're wounded, where we're hurting, where 
things don't make sense, then we have to allow the Spirit to bring the healing and wholeness that He wants to in our lives. The next thing I'd say is, you've got to tighten up your ranks around you. Nobody should ever fight alone. We talk a lot about community around here, and we talk a lot about this idea of being in community and being in community with others. And it, it's, we emphasize it a lot because there is no replacement for real relationships in your life when it comes to living the life of faith. It, it, there's not a lot of success stories of somebody that's just like, I'm just going to isolate and do the journey. Like, I'm going to do it all by myself, Right? It doesn't work well that way. You need people around you. You're going to have times where you need some people to prop you up, to take you on their back, right? You need to invite people in to do that. One of the best exhibits of this in the Bible is you compare what happened with Judas and Peter. Now, there was many differences with them, but one of the differences was that Judas, both of them betrayed Jesus at some level. Judas went off, though, and what did he do? He isolated himself. Peter's, like, devastated. He denied Jesus three times, and it would have been easy for him to just be, because he was so ashamed, to just ignore all of his friends and say, I'm going to go isolate as well. But what does he do? He ends up back with his brothers. He has the ability to come into community and have them come around him and sustain him in those low moments, and ultimately Jesus restores him. And it's, isn't it interesting that it's, it's the moments when we most need community that we least want it? You know, it's, it's those moments when we're like, I don't want somebody to speak some truth into me. We want to isolate. We want to get off on our own. It's those moments when we don't feel like it, when we have to resist that feeling and, and, and invite people into our lives. It's, it's those moments when we're in that bad spot or making decisions that we shouldn't that the enemy tries to isolate us and tries to get us off on our own. But one of the things we've said around here is nobody should fight alone. Nobody should be on their own. Now, having said that, you have to position yourself around others. You've got to do the real work of relationships. And it's not an easy work. If you just want casual relationships, which is kind of what you know, our society sort of is fueled on, if you just want that, then don't be surprised when all you have is casual friendships, right? But if you want that deep relationship, if you want people that are going to be actually in your life, that are going to be showing up in your life, that are actually going to be there to support you and to help you, that are going to hit their knees praying for you as if they're praying for their own family, you also should do that same level of investment in the life of others. You have to build that community around you. You have to build up those relationships. And I can tell you, they're, they're here. But you have to invest in them. You have to step into them. And real relationships take sacrifice. Now, you guys know I have no shortage of Jude stories. And I'm sorry, I can't resist. This dude's just full of good stuff, you know. And uh, we, we were picking, Jess was picking Eli up from school the other day. He was real upset. He was sad. He was crying. He was like, you know, basically what had happened, I don't know. You know, kids have their little moments. But he had said that one of the kids at school was picking on him, you know, according to Eli. So he was very upset, whatever had happened. You know, and then this was one of his friends, but it somehow something, you know, I don't know what it was, some sort of beef, you know. And, and Eli was real upset, and Jude was in the back seat. And granted, Jude's two years old. So like in a two-year-old voice, I don't even know where he gets this stuff. He looks over, and we call Eli Ebes. You know, that's just kind of our nickname for him. And he just looks over, and he says, Ebes. You want me to throw a truck at him? And Jess is kind of like, she's laughing. She's like, that's so funny. Like, where did he get? And uh, she, goes, she goes, that's not very nice, buddy. And he goes, 
I could shoot him with a laser. <laughs> like, I love that, right? It's like, it's instinctual for him, right? Like, somebody messed with my brother, he get, he's got to get a truck thrown at him. Like, that's just what I have to do because that's my brother, you know? And what I'll say is you got to get you somebody, right, a friend that will throw a truck at somebody for you. Like, you, you have to, or shoot him with a laser at least, you know? But it's not just about people who have your back. It's surrounding yourself with people who will look you in the eye and speak truth. It's just soaked in grace. People that will wear out their knees praying for you and coming alongside you. And, and I think the main criteria for your inner circle should be pretty simple. It's like who, the, the people that you seek out when you're needing some help or guidance. Whose advice am I most eager for? I'd say it should be the people that when you encounter them, you just, you encounter Jesus. That the the Spirit just kind of flows through them in a way that truth is just kind of their native language. You know that you're just getting good stuff and you can, you're just experiencing the truth when you encounter them. One of those people in my life is, has been over the years uh, my Aunt Lois. And uh, it's actually my mom's aunt. I don't know what that means for me, but she's just Aunt Lois to me. And uh, she's just always like just has this wisdom, but she just has this gentle spirit. And when, I, when I'm sitting down at a table with her, I just like feel the presence of Jesus. Like, you know, as we're having these conversations, and I know you have people like that in your life where you're just like, man, it's just like this spiritual moment that happens when we're, we're dialoguing. And uh, the other day we're over at this party and like, you know, she has this way of just like penetrating like, you know, with the truth in just such a way that's like you don't even realize it's happening, you know, and it's just, it's so refreshing, and she's just like, hey, Josh, come over here, you know, and she's just like, sit down, and when Aunt Lois says to sit down, you sit down, and so I sit down, and she's just like, she's just speaking all of these things, the truth, like the stuff that like I needed to hear, I'm like, how, how did you know like I need to hear all that stuff, you know, or she'll lead in with a question like this, how are you doing, you know, and like, before I know it, I'm like sharing all these things I didn't intend to share, you know, it's like, all it's like, all how are you doing? You know, it's like I'm sharing all this stuff, and then there's all this truth to follow. But you got to have people in your life like that, people that can speak that kind of truth. Um, because when you're in the heart of battle, it's sometimes you need somebody else's perspective. You need somebody to share with you, and you need somebody to help fortify your faith alongside you. And so I would encourage you, like, who is that for you? Are you in a core group? Are you in a community group? Or do you at least have a few people that you could reach out to to say, you know, I, I, I need... I need some help. I need some guidance in my spiritual life. If you don't have that, look around for it. Pray for that. Ask God to bring those people into your life. The last thing I'll say is this. Always be preparing for battle. That might seem obvious as a piece of advice for being battle ready, but when we're going about our everyday lives and when the spiritual stuff doesn't always seem like the most tangible or the most pressing, often we, we neglect it for, for honest. I uh, recently got roped into doing one of these CrossFit competitions. And um, if anybody knows me or goes to the gym with me, they know that my answer is usually very simple. It's no. I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just, you know, and I'll be like, hey, we want to be on our team for a competition. Thanks for asking. Not interested. Like, this is like my, it's, it's pretty standard reply, you know. And I don't know what happened recently, but um, I, I got sort of talked into doing it, and one of the girls that works out over here um, was like, hey, we need, let's get a team together, we want you, I want you to be on my team, I'm like, not really, and then, no, I really want you to, and then all of a sudden, she had somehow figured out the best strategy, which was to get in Jess's ear about it, 
And then Jess is like, you should really do it. Like, why don't you do it? Like, you should do it. And then she's talking. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll do it, you know. But the two reasons that I don't usually get involved in these things is, number one, because my body just feels a lot older than it is. I've had all these injuries. And I'm like, I'm trying to preserve myself. And a wise guy that, that goes to church here once told me that you need to start treating your body like a classic car and not like the sports model, you know? And so now I'm like, I'm not just trying to win the day. I'm trying to like preserve and like, I, I like being healthy, but I, I'm not trying to beat myself up. And so um, I, that's one reason. The other reason that I say no, to be just perfectly honest with you, is because this is not a one-hour commitment. It might be a one-hour workout, but it is not a one-hour commitment. Because if you've ever done this before, you know that there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, if I really want, I can't just show up that day and be like, all right, hey, guys, what are we doing today? Like, we're working out? Okay, cool. Like, how's it? No, you can't do that. I've got to start eating healthier. You know, I was like, I can't have pizza all the time. I got to start, for a period of time, I've got to start eating healthier. I've got to start training very specifically. I've got to actually practice and strategize with my team as the best way to go through all these workouts and to compete the best we can. And then I have to address some of my weaknesses, which to be honest with you, I'm perfectly fine with. I don't want to, those weaknesses are fine. Like I, let's leave them alone. But now I got to work on those. I got to practice the things I'm bad at. And why? Because what would happen if I just showed up, right? I wouldn't be ready. And here's the thing that I want to say to you this morning. It's a principle that I, I think we should chew on in light of the spiritual battle. Battles are won or lost in advance of the arena. Battles are won or lost in advance of the arena. I mean, think about if you're one of these guys in these Roman gladiator things. When are you going to be putting the armor on? Before you get out there, right? You don't, you don't want to be like trying to get the helmet on your head and all this stuff. You know, when and guys are swinging swords at you, you know, and there's lions jumping around and all that kind of stuff. You don't, that's not the time to get ready, right? You certainly could try to get ready then, but it's not the best time to get ready. And I was talking about some of this stuff with, with Paul this week, and he gave me another great analogy that I've really been chewing on. He's like, yeah, he's like, that's like waiting for the, the middle of the storm to start building your shelter. And I was like, can you imagine? Like, or, hey, the, hor- the hurricane warnings have been coming for a week, but like, you know, I was busy, you know. And so I started to like, when the hurricane got here, like, oh, they were serious about that. Like, let's go ahead and put some boards on the wind, like stuff's flying around, and you're like, that's not the time to do it, right? That's not the time to build your shelter. Now, if you have to, you can try, but that's not the best time to do it. And so when we think about really this idea of putting on the full armor of God, when's the best time to do that? Now. Now. The best time to prepare is not when my marriage is already in disrepair. It's not the time to start praying for your marriage. I mean, certainly you can in that moment, but that's not the best time to do it. The time to start speaking truth and embedding truth into the lives of your kids is not after they're already tangled in a whole bunch of cultural lies. It's not the best time to do it. The best time to do it is now. The best time to make a decision for Jesus is not when you're at absolute rock bottom and your life is a mess. Certainly you can make a decision then, but that's not the best time to do it. The best time to make that decision is now. And here, regardless, God's grace is sufficient. So wherever you're at right now, you can start making some of these decisions. You can start armoring up because there is a very real battle. But here's the good news. God has already given us everything we need to withstand the battle, to resist temptation, to overcome evil, to persevere under trial and tribulation, to reach our eternal 
home. God has already provided us everything we need. It's the full armor from head to toe. He's got us covered from head to toe. But we got to put it on. Let's read this last passage together here as we conclude from Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. And this is where we're going to be camped out throughout the series. So let's just read these words together. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. As we conclude today, I want to offer you an invitation, if you've never made a decision, uh, to receive Jesus and to be baptized and make a commitment to him. Now is the best time to do that. Allow, don't, don't put up those walls, don't resist the medic, don't resist the Holy Spirit. If he is really weighing on you today to make a decision, whether it's that decision or maybe it's a decision to say, I have, I have not been walking with Jesus and I just need somebody to pray with me uh, because I, I need to, to make a recommitment of some kind or a rededication of some kind or or maybe today you're just like, you know what, I'm just in the middle of the battle and I just need somebody to pray for me. During this next song, I'm going to be camped out here in the back under these lights and uh, maybe a few others from our church that, that just are available to pray can, can come back there as well and we just love to pray with you. Um, let's go ahead and take time to pray now and then we'll sing one final song together. God, thank you for your goodness and we just thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us that is right with us in the middle of the battle. And I know sometimes it's difficult to, to think about these things, to talk about these things, um, God, but we thank you that you've given us everything we need to cover us from head to toe, God. We pray that you would embolden us and give us courage to put on the full armor of God. Somebody's out there today, God, that's wrestling with a decision. I just pray that your spirit would be heavy upon them, knowing, God, that when you break through, it's an incredible thing. So, God, if there's anyone that needs to make a decision today, God, I pray that, that they would do so. And I just pray that um, if anyone's in the middle of a battle today, God, that you would encourage them, God, that you would just allow them to feel your, your presence and your power. We thank you, God, that you promise us that we are more than conquerors. Through Christ who gives us strength to do all things today, God, we just ask for that strength. We pray that you would allow us to be battle ready. We pray this in Jesus.